What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Everyone, welcome to the Smart IT Podcast. And this will be part two of our episode with my conversation with Prachi. We're talking about cyber. We're talking about thinking. We're talking about design thinking and some other very uh, interesting, mm-hmm. cool things. Uh, so Prachi, uh, welcome back again for part two of our of our series. Thank you. Uh, so I think we're going to go back a little bit and just talk a little bit about some of this magic I think we talked about before where you can go into that room, yeah. you set the table, and you get a lot of different people with different personas and inputs mm-hmm. and uh, perspectives. And then somehow there's some magic been happening where all of a sudden everyone gets a better appreciation for the topic at hand, the scope of the conversation. In our case, a lot of times we're talking IT, we're talking cybersecurity programs, managing risk. Yeah. I know you do a lot of work with clients and you kind of, you kind of see that sparkle in the eyes, I can almost say, right? Where now all of a sudden different people with different job titles are yeah. saying, oh, I'm starting seeing a different perspective on how this actually works in our organization with our different teams, yeah. with our customers. So let's kind of pick up uh, yeah. from that perspective right there. Sure. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, you said something about appreciation. I think the appreciation comes from awareness. And it's not anything, we're not reinventing something, you know, we're not creating something that didn't exist before. These people came with all the knowledge, right? So the idea of bringing their whole self to that problem, to that conversation is what really creates the magic, right? And in cybersecurity, especially, we're so trained to be um, specialists in our areas, right? In, In our technical fields, in our roles, where we sit in the verticals, in our departments, And pretty much, even in my own experience working um, as a cybersecurity professional earlier, it it was really around, we just put those blinders on and are bringing that. And sometimes, you know, the intensity of the conversation, what's at stake, all of that, you know, many times prohibits us from bringing the whole self and actually thinking, saying, hey, how can I look at it from a different way? Right. So what we do is create a safe space in those conversations where people are literally it's OK to throw darts at the board. Right. And um, and, you know, it's not just a fun exercise, but it's really about um, engaging your left and right brain together. And then really inviting people's experiences. Right. What if somebody is a music coach? What if someone else was a player? Right. As as Brian, my um, my partner in the firm, he talks about, right, you've got different coaches for different positions and plays, you know, in a game, right? And, and this is oversimplifying it, but similarly, for different positions, different roles, different types of intensity level that you're dealing with at an executive level, at a middle management level, or at, you know, a junior analyst level, 
and your experience that you're bringing into the company, right? All of that is tremendously valuable to solving the problem at hand. And we have done this in other areas of life. We just are not trained to do that in cybersecurity. It's just somehow that switch goes off and it's a matter of turning the switch on, right? In the moment, people are like, oh, I can totally look at it this way. It doesn't matter if I'm a risk assessor. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, a a pen test person or whatever else role they may have. Um, starts to come in together, looking looking at it and looking at it from a whole big picture perspective, the 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 detail level at a lower level as well as the big picture. That's where the magic starts to happen, and it's it's very exciting to see that. And even when I work as a coach personally to a lot of cyber professionals, as they're planning, you know, how to tackle problems or how to structure their teams well in order to work in the best, most efficient and optimal way. Sometimes the most efficient is not optimal for the people, even though the process is efficient. I think it's about striking a balance of both. You know, we, we had talked about stress and burnout in the in a prior conversation and how much pressure there is on cybersecurity professionals. So really coming in, you know, really figuring out what that optimal balance for the teams are. And again, as a skill set, this is not taught to a cyber professional, right? We learn governance, we learn team management, we learn certain things, but it's very broad-based. Yeah, that's, that's some great points there. And I noticed the other thing is that perspective of cyber, it means kind of like no, as opposed to informing, right? The business want to go do sure. something, uh, re- reduce yeah. customer churn, acquire more customers, expand. Yeah. And they're looking over, okay, now cyber person, what are you going to tell me I can't do, right? And I think that shift in perspective yeah. is, we're going to have brakes on the car, right? So you can go faster. Uh, we're going yeah. to have these safety checks on the airline. So we can take off the airplane, get to where yeah. you go safely. So I think I'll, let's talk a little bit about, yes. you know, thinking about this system of it's not no. We want you to do what you need to do. We're just giving you some guardrails, suggestions. You know, we look around at other fields. Yes. It's a help as opposed to uh, uh, very restrictive. Let's talk about that a little bit. Right. Right. And, and unfortunately, cybersecurity people, for the most part, tend to be labeled as naysayers. I mean, because we're raising the questions, we are raising the, you know, the 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 risk equation or the risk quotient, yeah. if I may, to a conversation, right? And not to say other types of risk management are not in place. Cybersecurity kind of again like gets caught in between this, right? It's not quite financial risk. It's not quite, you know, physical risk, but it's it's a blend of both, right? I mean, both repercussions are there. Um, and what has happened is you know, innovation can be sorted because it's like, okay, immediately we say, no, it's not secure as opposed to how can we do this, right? And so our mission really is how can cybersecurity people be the accelerants to innovation, right? As opposed to the brakes. I love that. Yeah. Right? And so we think, yeah, and it's and it's not like you're directly the accelerator pedal, but you're that, you know, you're that additive that really are the catalyzing or the galvanizer into, you know, companies propelling forward into their strategy, right? So how can we take this, make it safe and secure, not just for our customers, but for, you know, employees within the firm as well, right? In larger society in general. And and from a cyber standpoint, it really begs then at, you know, getting that customer mindset at two levels. Within an organization, within an organization, a company, the cyber department has its internal stakeholders as customers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we know, you know, IT as a service, software as, I mean, all of that is there. Um, but cybersecurity in general, like we said, you know, is a lot of policies. It's a lot of, you know, controls. It's a lot of, you know, all of those things. Um, but if we start to look at our internal stakeholders, 
equal to our external customers, right, the mindset shifts. And then they have to think about also the external customers to your point, like, you know, hey, we want to expand in Japan, we want to expand in wherever else, South Asia, you know, Latin America, what does that look like, you know, from a people, per, you know, process and technology standpoint, and how can cybersecurity be an accelerant here? Hey, here's how, what we can do two, three different ways that can then propel us forward as opposed to be like, nope, it's not secure, let's not do this. It, it, you know, it's all kinds of all kinds of issues, right? And it seemed like if we everybody kind of looked at it as the design aspect almost as well, right? So we talk about design thinking is you never go in officially as an organization and not include like quality and safety and security. So we shouldn't yep. be considered as a bold yep. one anyway. So it's like my expectation is here's a new business initiative, here's a new technology going to support it. Here are all the things to make sure it's safe. We can manage it. We can maintain it. And yeah. we don't get less secure because we're doing something. So it almost seems like to be natural. Right. So is this something that we maybe yeah. do more education on the business side of the house that say security is an element when we design these processes and initiatives and these capabilities? Yeah. And, and, and it's not just even for new or new business initiatives, right? Design thinking as that concept can be applied to, applied to anywhere. Right. Where are you today in an organization? How can we shift our perspective and start to you know, add value today? Right. It's not just, hey, we want to expand in another country or, you know, I want to embark on a new you know, IT initiative, a new artificial intelligence initiative, cloud, you know, migration, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be something new. You can literally start saying, how can I use design thinking principles to make the experience of our own people nice. better? Right. So big focus of ours is how to make the experience of cybersecurity professionals in a cybersecurity organization better so that they can, you know, deliver that value to the internal stakeholders and the external customers. For us, all of them are customers, right? So so just putting that hat on and starting to see, you know, how to apply those tricks of the yeah. trade, you know, design thinking um, to really improve the experience now and today, right? So there's a short-term, immediate, and then there's also that long-term perspective. Right. And um, and that point, my point just slipped out of my head or uh, flew out, yeah. but it'll come back to me. But it was really about it's really about people's experience in cybersecurity. Right. That's a huge one, because, I mean, if you're stressed out, yeah. burned out, you know, working through all of that pressure, I mean, the outcomes. Yes, you can, you know, you can you can work only so much. And after that, it's just going to start tanking. Right. So so it's really about leveraging design thinking to help internally as well as externally. I noticed you also, um, uh, some of your material on, on your site, I know you guys mentioned a lot about this industrial design thinking. I, yeah. Yes. Can you want to talk yes. a little bit about that? Let the audience know. Like, <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, industrial trend design thinking. Um, so for your audience, those of who have never heard it before, is a term that was coined by Brian, but really inspired by the, um, you know, industrial history of the of his area of Michigan where he's from eventually like you know the all the big problems or all the big sort of products large-scale industrial so car think car manufacturing think refrigeration right think big-scale aviation um uh what do you call it? production lines right so think about it as that expansive um industrial level design thinking you're not just creating a small product but you're thinking about assembly lines you're thinking about you know high volume high throughput um high throughput design processes and designing products that's the industrial strand design thinking so applying the applying that level 
of scale and complexity of a problem to solve problems in cybersecurity. So the term was coined by Brian um, called industrial strength design thinking. That's what we're taking and expanding on and really applying to cybersecurity. Because if you look at it, and I think we talked about it in the last episode too, was cybersecurity is really a complex system. And when you start to look at all these, it's like a plane, right? It's really an adaptive system and it's operating in an environment that itself is, is shifting like the weather, right? So when a plane, you know, and I'm using that as an analogy, it's easy to understand. When a plane is flying in the air, not only is its own complex system, now it's interacting with multiple different types of systems that are, you know, around it. Right. You have the ground, you have the ground information, you have, you know, the plane's own information going on and then the weather system yeah. that's operating around it. Right. What's in place and what's down coming down, you know, the route. And so cybersecurity, if you start to look at it, is the same. Um, it's the same sort of setup. Right. And that's why when we say industrial strength design thinking, we're actually bringing in components of critical thinking, systems thinking and the core design thinking principles to really create that cohesive you know, approach to solving large scale, complex problems. Right? And immediately when you start to look at cybersecurity as a complex system, you can then start to apply systems principles. And many of the people you know, on, on your call would be system thinkers. You will immediately get it right. If I'm looking at my, in, in, you know, I'm not looking at it as a static process, but I'm really looking at it as a dynamic thing, right? You know, there's there's threat actors, there's all these processes going on, right? You, I have my entire IT environment I'm looking at, right? And all the other external environmental factors that can impact my system. Now it really starts to behave like, you know, in, in systems world or terminology, it's called a complex adaptive system. Start looking at those principles, start solving the problem from that aspect, from that perspective, I'm sorry. <laughs> So then it starts to get really interesting. So it's industrial strand design thinking. This is our own way of, of applying problem solving, um, you know, combining critical thinking, systems thinking and design thinking principles to cybersecurity. That's fantastic. And I started to think about that and then say a CISO think about, man, I've been on this job for three years and I see the exact same issues and symptoms and, and pain yeah. points. Yeah. They can step back and start to think maybe this is a part of a system that I don't understand. So talk about sure. that problem solving, yeah. seeing symptoms over and over again. Yeah. Maybe there's a feedback loop that's happening that they're unaware of. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that was the inspiration behind the work Brian and I also, you know, the genesis of our work really was that because when he and I started talking about our yeah. individual experiences, you know, working with different people and in our own roles, all of our problems are pretty yeah. much similar. So we're going, okay, so if you're having pretty much the same problems, I'm having pretty much the same problems. Like our, I mean, tech environments, yes, to a large extent are different, but they're also very similar, right? So the, the problems are similar. The way we were approaching the problems or people were thinking about the problems were similar. The outcomes are similar and yes. the symptoms are similar, yeah. right? And, and and then we started talking to other people, you know, so think about it, like other industry verticals. I mean, it was the healthcare, it was financial services. We went to some CISO summits, right? We had some conversations and they're like, nope, we have the same issues. And across the board, this, this whole sort of, you know, I call it a pandemic of stress and burnout within cybersecurity professionals, right? Globally is impacting everybody. So it doesn't matter if it's a professional sitting out in Asia or Europe or, you know, or Latin America, most of their experience in CISOs right now are saying my personal risk is, you know, higher than, than my organizational cyber risk, right? Because of all the pressure and, and 
um, you know, the scrutiny that is there on cybersecurity. And not to say that that's, yeah. you know, there are other professions that have that kind of uh, pressure, but they also have solutions that have been brought into them. What we are saying is there are solutions out there. If you start to liken it to other, you know, um, areas or other industry kind of problems that have been solved before, you can port mm -hmm. those methods. You can port those approaches into cybersecurity, test and apply them, you know, and, and configure them and, and customize them for your company and see what works, right? But there, there are solved problems. All of these issues we're hearing about in cyber for a large extent have been, you know, have been mimicking problems in other big industries, right? Think medical um, team training, think aviation, as we talked about in the last episode, right? When you start to look at it like that, you can be like, yes. okay, I can apply some of these ideas into here. And those are some very quick wins, um, you know, sort of approaches that can be easily used by by leaders in the in the industry. So it sounds like this is a great place to insert potential new skill sets for CISOs and other leaders, sure, yeah. bringing in resources like you guys, like you, the work you and Brian are doing, where where CISOs don't have that much experience, maybe in systems thinking, design thinking, maybe they're struggling and yeah. they're looking at the traditional frameworks just inside of cybersecurity. Yeah. Let's talk yes. about this. Yes, yeah. and many of them do. You know, We've been doing it in other areas of our life. That's exactly what we're saying. If you were a coach, if you were a cook, you already use systems thinking, right? You're thinking about one thing affects another. How do I scale it? How do I you know, um, put steps together, right? How do I approach people? So so to a large extent, you do it. We're just not aware. And once people start getting becoming aware, they kind of sort of know what we're talking about. The moment we start yeah. to talk about it in the context of their work, that's when things start to click and it starts to become like a beautiful symphony. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, yeah. I just got it, you know? And and so, so yeah, you're adding new skills, you're honing skills you may already have and you may not even be aware that you were using them. And that's just that's just like the greatest gift and contribution um, for us to provide to them, right? So kind of like at the gym, and you're noticing you've been there for six months, you've been doing the the routine yourself, not seeing the results, and then the personal coach walks by and notices, hey, by the way, you know it might be a different way to actually use this machine for you doing it. And by the way, can I see your entire routine? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like an external, you know, little coach, not little coach, but coach. So, yes. you know, on the, on the shoulder saying, <laughs> yeah. hey, you might be some tweaks here. And then well, boom. And, it, yep. and by the way, yep. you know, this is also related to what you eat. By the way, let's take a look at what your diet looks like, how much sleep. Next, you know, you're inside this system of human yes. body and conditioning. So it's not like that could also be applied right yes. for in our in our tech space here as well. Yes. Yes. And, and, and you know, workout is a great example because it's not just people who end up there, like you're saying, you know, the, the, the little tweaks that are required, but a lot of times people are there, A, they don't know what to do and B, they can't right. see themselves, right, at that end product. They don't even know what to expect at the end or can they do it, right? So sometimes we're going through the motion, not knowing what to expect. And so there's many different things, right? Sometimes you're there and um, you could be self-sabotaging yes. in some way. Right. So that's where a lot of the mindset personal coaching piece also comes in. So while we do work with large teams as well, working with people one on one or in smaller groups also helps. Like, you know, you go work with a team, a team manager and a bunch of direct reports. Um, we've done that as well. And so that also helps when it's a collective as well as an individual, um, you know, improvement, if I may, development. Um, but then the 
the whole idea is to be able to leverage our collective mm-hmm. indiv- intelligence, right? Our individual collective mm-hmm. intelligence, the creative, the analytical, our past, you know, our present, all of our experiences, and then the collective intelligence on the team. So every person can become a contribution while they're being specialists, right? Because I, I always say cybersecurity is, you know, a, a very complex discipline full of disparate mm-hmm. experts, who then don't know how to work with each other all the time. Part of it is because the specialty itself limits us because then it prevents us from seeing it from another person's perspective, right? In connecting the dots in, in context, in that, in that situation at hand, right? It's easy to connect dots in hindsight, but while you're there sitting and working with different people, doing that almost live is a skill set, And that is also something, um, you know, we help with and, and find it very, very beneficial. Uh, the other thing I know you work with a lot is trying to help the introverts, right? So we're talking about t- going yeah. from the individuals <laughs> to the teams. Now we're in the room. We got the yes. different skill sets. We're working yes. on it. But not all voices are equal. There's some people who are quite like, mm-hmm. that's a lot of talent over there. So I mean, what happens if yes. 40, 50, 60 or 70 percent of the people in the room aren't really expressing themselves or bringing their entire sales to it? Yeah. Let's talk about the, the you know, the introverts and how do we get more get, get more participation out of them though yeah oh my goodness i'm telling you the moment i the introvert thing kind of almost was a gift mm-hmm. that came to me right when i started talking to people they're like oh i don't do this yeah. i'm an introvert right and then i met i met a few people otherwise i'm an introvert and i suddenly i started bumping into people who call themselves or identified themselves as introverts everywhere i'm going all right this is a <laughs> you know this is looks like yeah. something to dig into and look into and and anecdotally, right, we're going to do our survey soon, but anecdotally, pretty much 80% of the people I talk to say they're introverts, right? And many of them became, it wasn't like they were born with it or they were like children. And through the pandemic, many people started to call themselves introverts as well, right? So it was kind of like almost acquired because of the lockdown, because you were sort of restricted, Right. And, and many of us, and I say that myself because I discovered I'm an ambivert. I like my alone time as much as I like my social time. Right. I'm a, I'm a pretty extrovert person, but I then realized, OK, yeah. I kind of like my own thinking time, my own problem solving time. So so, you know, as people were assimilating back, you know, when when the when the restrictions were lifted, some people really struggled with it. Some people loved it. Right. Um but a big aspect of what people are attributing that to was their introvertedness, either acquired or something that became magnified through through COVID, right? So I'm just using that as a reference point to, you know, to explain sort of what I have seen and observed and experienced in the last few years. Um, and because of that label of introvertedness, so what happens is the moment you identify as an introvert, you absorb and then start to embody and then start to behave, right? That's how you start showing up based on how the word introvert is defined, right? Nowhere in the introverted definition is a lack of intelligence, lack of good Mm -hmm. ideas, (laughs) you know, uh, lack of participation, right? All of that is not a general definition of introvertedness. But what we have done is we take that, we extrapolate it, and we tend to assume, so, oh, I'm an introvert, so X, Y, Z, Right. So and automatically what happens is you become what you think about all the time. Right. And if you're like, okay, I don't have anything. So it's not step back. It's not so much that you don't have ideas. You think, you know, because you're an introvert, you're like, I don't have anything to say or I don't want to say becomes I don't have anything to say. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
this like you see what i'm saying like some subconsciously it becomes a thing because you don't speak up and then you're like okay and then you feel like you didn't add anything so it becomes like a negative feedback loop right and when you start to challenge that and be like no sit there right and and it's it's not about forcing yourself to talk that's what i i tell people you can be um you can network you can make an impact without truly changing your personality because the the word introvert is a label mm-hmm. right tomorrow if you start telling yourself you're an extrovert i guarantee an introvert may start to imbibe qualities of an extrovert without even knowing and it's not about speaking affirmation but it's truly observing how you're showing up because of that label and you may or may not be like that right so we almost force ourselves to become that person um that we're not because of the the labels and the connotations that were assigned to it so, does that it resonate does. it's pretty i don't know it's a pretty deep topic when you start to talk about it but in coaching sessions it really starts to unravel right they're like okay i don't like networking so what aspect of networking right. do you know i'm an introvert i don't like networking right and so okay so it's automatic because we think introvert and networking are two right. opposite sides of the coin can't gel that's not true right if you make us you know it's not that you can't talk not that you are not a good social talker right i've met some very impressive introverted people they just they are they tend to you know there's many different ways of ex- explaining that um some people tend to you know like their solitude they're contemplative right there are all these different characteristics doesn't mean you're all and doesn't mean you're just a little bit we are very complex beings you have to see it in the multitude of you as a person So same thing as specialists we put a blinder on so it's almost like calling yourself yeah. a specialist yeah. in terms of you know social interaction or whatever behaviors you put the blinder on and you don't see yourself as anything else. Well, that's interesting. Um on that whole thing of the networking not being good at a networking event you almost think like I had some guests on on before to talk about designing conversations, designing meetings, designing sure. interactions. So like you said so maybe it's not yes. that they don't have any ideas or they don't like to network maybe they need a icebreaker maybe who somebody can structure the networking event to have icebreakers yes. to get that person comfortable just to get started right and then once they get started then they may just keep on going like man this person won't stop talking right yeah, yeah. so maybe yeah, yeah go ahead, go ahead yeah, so it's an opportunity to structure how our, our teams are meeting how they're interacting finding out okay where am i not getting this full person cuz if i can get more of the individual to come out and say their full self and I multiply this then the outcomes of the team will be better the outcomes of IT technology the outcomes of the business really out, outcome of any human interaction yep. can actually uh, potentially get better yes. right yes yes and and the type and and extent and and the the type and the time or the or the duration of the interaction shifts based on the person and the context mm-hmm. of a situation right so here's an easy free tip I'm going to give to all your audience. I call it the 10 20 30 method, right? If you are let's say establishing a relationship with somebody in a networking session, mm-hmm. right? Or you go to a happy hour or you go to a conference or let's say you're simply trying to establish a relationship with a new CISO who's joined your organization for example, right? Could be many different settings, right? But this method can be applied to everywhere where you're trying to establish a new connection. First time you go talk to someone, talk to them only for 10 minutes. right have you seen in happy hours when one person just like yes. sticks to one person and just talks to them or like if there's one leader who walked in and everybody kind of just surrounds him and there's that one person right. who never moves right 
So, so, and you basically trying to extract your entire life history and establish a lifetime <laughs> relationship in that, in that happy hour time. So that may not be the best approach for everyone. Typically it doesn't work, right? You want to be able, so 10 minutes, let's say you're an introvert and it really affects you in terms of how, how long you can talk, you know, all those things, or you're just apprehensive of talking to strangers or people you don't know, um, 10 minutes for the first conversation. Hi, how are you? You know, as a, mm-hmm tells me something about yourself, ask more about the other people, be really interested in knowing someone. So maybe it's to spend 10 minutes and say, hey, if there's, you know, a spark, if I may, it's almost yeah. like dating, right? If you, if, you know, if you set that connection, you tell the person, hey, I would love to follow up with you, right? At work or afterwards, can I set up a 20 minute conversation? It's not 15, right. it's not 30, 20 minutes and say, you know, would love to take this forward and see how we can support each other in our growth, Right. And one other thing people do in networking, they think is because it's a take, it feels fake to people, right? Because I'm having shallow conversations. That's mostly because we don't think it as a giving and receiving conversation, right? When you're establishing a professional connection, people know you're coming to them for something. So you can already walk in and say, what value can you add to them? And it doesn't have to be in that immediate moment. It's not like, hey, I'm buying, I'm giving you a $10 bill and give me a piece of cake, Right. It can happen at a later mm-hmm. date. Go there with the intention. So anytime you're connecting with someone, walk in there thinking you're not taking something because networking is fake or shallow or whatever. It will be a give and take, not necessarily spontaneous. It can be asynchronous, right? Or at a different time. Um, and then take it further, right? So the second conversation can be 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-on conversations can be 30 minutes or more. I like that. Right? Then you actually know what that person is looking for what you want out of that person, right? Especially if it is somebody senior, honoring their time is the best gift you can give them. Because these days it's not money, it's time that is more important, right? Um, for people and mm-hmm. time and money, let me not say more. <laughs> but, but, but time is critical for people these days, right? And, and so if you're walking in and saying, okay, I need your help or I need your insights and guidance for so-and-so, you know, I'd be, it'd be valuable to me, Right? And that's all you have to say. That's it. And, and that's the right. truth. Part of what is, happens is we try to beat yeah. around the bush. No, everybody in a professional connection, if, he, if this person has made it to senior management, they have done the same networking, you know, sort of practices we're learning, right? And they know when somebody is trying to get their guidance, it's probably for professional, you know, growth, professional advancement, right? So they know that. And people like to help people. So give them an opportunity to help you. We always love to help people, Right. So it's the same thing. Allow them to help you, but you have to guide them to say, okay, what is it that you want to go talk? If you're going to talk to a CIO, what particular things do you want to ask them, right? What guidance would you need for your job or some sort of, mm-hmm. you know, career growth, next promotion? The clarity itself helps and the honesty helps. That's really cool. yeah. And then you can say at the end of the conversation saying, these are my skill sets. If there's anything I can offer you now or in the future or a project that you're working on, or I can connect you with somebody, please let me know. Right. And that is easy. I have done that. And that has served me very well, served my clients very well. But this 10, 20, 30 method is very simple uh, and takes the pressure off and you can be honest and genuine about it. Right. Um, it's when you don't have um, a proper plan or an intention going in, Right. And you're again, walking in with a bias, it's almost an implicit bias against networking, that networking is bad and it's selfish or it's manipulative somehow. It isn't. That's how we grow. We're a society. 
It's about establishing, knowing how to do connections and contributions. I love that. Right. So think about it like that. There's a, a lot of opportunity there, right? We could just change the regular hour and a half we think we're going to waste, right? Drink a couple of drinks, not really yeah. meeting anybody. Not use, yeah. We can actually shift that, turn it yeah. around. At the end of the day, everybody in the room has something to provide, right? Yes, absolutely. Like absolutely. And then making everyone comfortable or asking or interacting in a way that allows that to come out. So like something that we can all jump yes. on and say, how can I, we can do better at this? As opposed to, like you said, locked in a mindset, yeah. uh, I'm about to go to a status meeting. It's like, well, there's no law to say the status meeting has to be boring and knowledge sharing. Not, you can change that dynamic, right? What can you provide? Yes. What can I provide? Yes. What can we share? And at the end of yes. the day, there's somebody in the room who's gone through what you've gone through, but they don't yes. know necessarily that you need that guidance. So they need some way to connect. Yes. Yes. And I mean, again, you, as an introvert, you can be a manager of introverts or you could be, you know, an ambivert or an extroverted person who is on a team as a team leader. Right. And then, so you should know how to harness that to give you know, in, in some companies um, as a practice, they invite some, you know, the introverts either to send in their written, you know, suggestions or sometimes they're invited to speak first. Um, but it's still required, no matter how much everybody external to you can support or create an environment for you to contribute, it's the willingness to contribute, no matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, right? Or even establishing connection in networking. That's powerful. And it also starts to lead back once we begin to this think, systems thinking. So that's like thinking about the system of interacting in that network event, yeah. interacting in the meeting. Yeah. And if we're starting to think about something simple, like what's one of the things like end user complain about? Oh, this system is too hard to use. IT made it hard. Yes. And the security made me yes. click a couple extra buttons, put a long code in, yes. and I don't understand why they're so evil and doing this. On the other side, yes. the yes. cyber tech, man, these guys, what's wrong with these users? But what if they're in the same room and yeah. change perspective? It's right. blame game. It's not that yeah. we don't like security. Yeah. It's that the way it's done or my understanding makes it seem cumbersome. So maybe if I understood the perspective. Sure. I, I would appreciate yeah. it more. And then on the other side, maybe it's like, oh, now I understand you have to log in four times and you're trying to help this customer. Maybe there's another way I can use the technology. Maybe I can configure it differently. Maybe I can alter the process. It's not just for end users though. Think yeah. about it, right? That's what I was talking about internally. If, if the cyber team itself thinks out of the box to make their life simpler, then it's easier to think about making your end user life simpler. And then you and Does that make uh, sense? Like when we were talking about improving the experience of cyber professionals, right? If you're used to being in a cumbersome environment, anything that is easy and fun will actually feel weird. Sometimes feeling bad feels better than feeling good. Because yeah. that's what you're acclimated and it, to. And we may not know what the perspective of a business so, user is. We just assume they're sitting here in front of the keyboard. They can click one, two, three, four, log in. But when we don't realize they're actually in the car or they actually have a paper clip in their hand talking to a patient. And we, sure. in those perspectives, we <laughs> yeah. may not have that. So it's like, if we understand yep. how it actually works by talking. Because yeah. even within cyber departments, we're using 50 that's, softwares that's, that yes. don't talk to each other. That, I mean, that's my point. Like if you could think about making your life simpler then the idea of making your end user life simpler, instead of playing a blame game or saying you clicking on too many phishing links mm -hmm. versus asking a question saying, well, why not let our end users click on links all day long? What can we right. do? Yeah. You know, to 
to to just remove that sort of risk, right? So it's it, then it becomes okay. We're not training them enough. But sometimes, what if we have four year olds or mm. even one year olds playing with yes. phones now, and ninety five year old people who are playing with phones now, right? And you send them a link, they click. How many end user trainings are you mm. going to do? It's not even just corporate security. This is societal security we're talking about, right? Our friends, our family, you know, are the elders in our society and and the young <laughs> kids in our society. There's so much digital penetration. I mean, just a simple thing is clicking, but even within an organization, if they think about it, right, saying, oh, end user, and it becomes right. punitive, right? You send them to, you know, you send them to trainings, and next time again, if you click on something, all right, fine, you know, your compensation gets affected yeah. or something, right, your bonus or whatever it is. But then it becomes an us versus them yeah. game. Right? So part of it is, yeah, fix your house yeah. also while you're trying to tell somebody else how to do that better. So, yes, how can we simplify the complexity in our cyber departments and the way we do things in the way, like I talked about, you know, um, my stoplight analogy, right? Green is where all the focus is, the threats and mm -hmm. the and where the money is going, right? The software purchases, the red is where the methods are, right? We're not looking at how are we organizing ourselves? How are we even operating? I gave the example of a pilot and cognitive load. How are mm -hmm. we dealing with the well-being of our employees and then the amber light in the middle of that stoplight is where the people are getting squished between this right. red and green, right? And so so obviously in burnout and stress, you're trying to look for ways. I mean, I'm not saying completely get rid of that, but there are better ways to deal with the same problem by looking at it different ways, putting on those perspectives, expanding the aperture through which we're you know, solving these problems, bring in that industrial strength design thinking perspective, right? We're there to teach you. Um, and also look at your the individual personalities of the people who are on the ground and working. So many different levels you're tackling, right? That's where the personal coaching, the introvert angle comes in, um, trying to work on it, right? Would you buy, yeah. seriously, like, I mean, on an average, a mid-size to large company, anywhere from 50 to 200 plus vendors yeah. they're dealing well, with at any time? Right now you've got third-party risk going on. So that's a whole different, com you know, complex conversation, but... Yeah, can we simplify some of and this? And I think some of the opportunity for simplification comes into understanding the system. In this case, understanding how the attackers work. And obviously, we have like the kill chain, right? Or attack chain. So let me take some of the friction off this end user training because I'm going to know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sure. catch some of these attackers' uh, activity with some other controls. So I can ease up and adjust yeah. controls, adjust process yeah. to make sure one, less uh, fr friction as possible for users so they can do their business and Make money, right? Yeah. And, and pay our yeah. bill and pay our, yeah. our paychecks, right? That's that's the whole purpose. So sometimes people forget. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah and because if you look at it, I mean, in all of the root cause analysis that happen in most of the, you know, the, the biggest breaches that make news, I mean, most of it, once they get into an organization, most of their, their MO exactly. is the same. It's how they get in is changing. But the idea that, yes, they are getting in and doing that, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, common, like which one was the one in us? Was it Australia or New Zealand? I forgot. Like last year or something it was a big one, and um, the it was a telecom company. I think I'm I'm speaking from memory, but um, but anyway, so the company PR team said, oh, it was a very sophisticated yeah. attack, and versus you know one of the government side officials yeah. said, no, it wasn't, right? So 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 it's just become this thing. So what is what is the truth? Yeah, especially here? if some of the right. gaps identified after the incident. We're the standard stuff like right, cyber right. hygiene, simple. Right. Just, we didn't just know what the hygiene. data was. We didn't right. classify it. Okay. If you said that in the first year, it, why is year four of your security program? Are you still talking about the exact same thing? Yeah. So 
And, and, and what really matters, right? I mean, a person comes in, sure, can they yes. get out? <laughs> and can they get out right. with their data, right? Okay. So it's, it's the same thing. What other, you know, we, we tend to think software solutions. We're not thinking of it from a whole process standpoint, right? Where is, where, what is it? That's, that's the whole point. What is it in my organization that I need to look at? Right. And a lot of this approach of controls has become, you know, ported over from financial accounting controls long time by compliance driven checks, which are lag measures. Again, it's about, do you have a checklist for X, Y, Z? Have you done X? That is not an active, um, you know, you know, there's, you know, prevention, intrusion, stuff like that, that is there. But again, when you're starting to report on, you start to monitor, it becomes more of a lag measure than an active sort of think about it as looking at a United Airlines dashboard, right? They know everything at any point what's going on. The plane is operating independently, but it's also in the, you know, in the entire airline system, right? There's at any point, maybe 200 planes in the air, right? So, so think about it like that. If you can look at your cyber organization in that way as a complex adaptive system, things, you know, you start to look at different ways where you can address this, this issue, right? And, and, Brian's favorite example is Ocean's Eleven, oh, yes. right? You watch any yeah. any heist movie, right? Think about any heist movies. I mean, the, the original Ocean's Eleven, which I oh. learned about recently, was in the yeah. 60s, I think, with yes. Sinatra in it. And then that was the time when they were trying to break into the casino, right? And they did. But, but isn't it similar? Mm. More complicated, sure, right? But it's about the mindset. And again, can you outthink your enemies at that point? Because you know your organization better. Yes, there's there's massive amounts of, you know, nefarious actors out there. But but I think us looking at, I mean, I say us, I'm, I'm really talking about us cyber professionals, right? In our organizations, we say, okay, how do I look at this from a big picture perspective? Oh. Right? And not just try to adapt to frameworks or adapt controls and stuff. We do something called the controls chain of fitness. Also, we actually put the controls through this sort of filtering process to say, okay, is this control really beneficial and helping me? And some of them are not, and some of them are regulatory driven, you have to do them. And or, but really look at which controls are actually the ones who are preventing or even helping me do out of the 5,000 controls I have in my organization, you go through your library, whatever that is, right? Over a period of one or two workshops, you go through all of them collectively as a team and you start to really look at the efficacy light bulbs open, right? And this is how much cost that goes into managing these controls, right? Some of them are compliance focused. Some of them are automated controls, right? Think about an automated control, right? It's like certain, um, I don't know, valves and stuff that let the pressure out so something doesn't explode, right? Those are automated controls. By and large now, and you know, we're seeing them by way of software in cybersecurity, but that thinking is still not as robust as it can be. So this is right or yeah. heating, yeah, heating sensors in in data centers, whatever that is, right? Those are automated controls that are in place. What are some of those things that we can do and start to look at our control framework in an organization and start to look at those? And there could be certain ones that you could retire because they're really not playing any role, and some of them could truly be checklists uh, from a regulatory standpoint, some other you know sort of compliance standpoint. But then there are ones that are actually helping. The organization stay secure. It's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's like I call these mind blowing, yeah. <laughs> you know, moments. Uh, 
because yeah you're taking what you have like i said and you're making immediate impact and that's that's really important from a people standpoint a process standpoint and technology standpoint right and if you're in a position as a ceo to return money out of your budget back to the yes. business so they can reinvest it in a company's growth would you not do it yes right now you're now you're a business yes. enabler right you're not that you're not the department that's <laughs> siphoning money from the sales people who are actually bringing in revenue Right. And, and having a PL impact versus cyber, which is a function. That's what I say. Start putting on the business hats and see they're not just your business users who are using applications. These are the people that are making the company run. How can I enable that? Yeah. Right. So if you've gotten 20 million dollars this year, let's say, OK, I don't need three million of this. Here you go. Now, would you not come out up on the oh, top definitely. there? The mindset you can change. make a CFO very, very happy. It's always there. Right? They, they would think you're crazy. Right. They check the calendar to see if it's April Fool's Day. And so I think the CISO just came up to me and said, sure. I don't need as much that, yeah. uh, as I need to use it for other business purposes. That's yeah. just yeah. next level. Yeah. And, and you know, and that money where you find that from, it's not because you are cutting short on your securities because the implementation was poor and you were actually bleeding money because a lot of times the practices you were using was what was eating up the money, not the cost of the software or the product itself. Pretty powerful. Right. So, so Right. And so, so that's like a basic you know, um, CFO hat on, budget management hat on, right? Because again, we're not trained, we're not trained to think like that. You got 20 million, you set aside some capital, yeah. you set aside some software, right? You have your resource headcount. If you start to really look at it saying, okay, what amongst this is we really need? I mean, I have personally seen three and a half projects taking three and a half, four years for tools to implement in large organizations because of that lack of that skill set or that thinking to say, okay, we as cybersecurity want it done one way, right? It may or may not be conducive for your environment. Your users may hate it, whatever that is. It took two and a half, three years. By that time, the technology is obsolete. Your yeah. people hate it, right? And at that point, you have to declare some cost and go look for another you know, solution. And by then, you spend six, $700,000 because you think about it from an annual budget standpoint. If you look at it from a roadmap standpoint, you can really start to find money. It's, so... We also, like I'd say, I'm also like a financial advisor to CISOs to say, come, let's talk about your budget, how you're thinking of investing it, which areas, what do you really need it, and how are you communicating back to business? And what are your opportunities to actually reduce your budget in, a, in an environment where people actually double the, double the you know, funding, like in big banks, yeah. big other big companies, you know, there's a breach, you drop in another hundred million. There's yes. a second breach, you drop in, right? But then there's, it, there's no correlation there. So Prachi, somebody's, yeah. Right, but that really puts you in a powerful position. Very powerful. So if I was coming, one of the CISOs walking by was listening to this podcast and said, I need to go talk to you. How would they, how would they find you? Yes. They can find us on Think Design Cyber. Uh, Brian and our contacts are up there. We're also on LinkedIn. I'm happy I answer direct messages myself. So I am happy to, um, you know, to reply there also. Um, so, yeah, they can reach us everywhere through the podcast, through you. If they know you, happy to, you know, if you would want to connect us there too. Absolutely. I love it. Because, of course, we could do a part two and a part three, but we have to stop at some point. <laughs> so I said, hey. I know, uh, I love no. the stuff. Yeah, once we started yes. speaking from a different perspective, it, it got really Great exciting. Great content. Uh, so we're going yes. so to take Thank a pause at, at the end of part two here and say if you want to uh, talk a little bit more about that, there'll be more information in the show notes. Uh, so for now, that was another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank my uh, guest, Prachi. Until next time, 
And if you need more information, you can go to WilliamReed.info. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at WilliamReed.info.